the service industry, regardless of your marketing approach, regardless of your sales approach, is just people, period. You get the right people on the bus, you can do some incredible things with services because that's all it is. It's humans talking to another human. Welcome to The Boost, a podcast for home service contractors. We explore leaders and innovators in home services, their personal journeys, thoughts, and experiences with growth, marketing, and succession. We cover the good, the bad, the ugly, and its ultimate impact. Hello, everybody. Thanks for being here. Welcome to The Boost. I'm Zach Wilson, Chief Marketing Officer of Local. Today, we have Jordan Winar. Is it winner or winner? You know, I like both of those. I'll, I'll take Win- either or, but it's it's winner. Yep. Jordan Winner, the winner. Chief Growth Officer at Allied Outdoor Solutions. Yeah, so so we met a couple months ago at uh, Home Service Freedom. You were kind of my partner in crime for that, uh, was it two or three day session? Yeah, two, two days, two and a half days. days two and a half days. Um, we, uh, we kind of met over cocktails and as I think I said, we should have just recorded that conversation and called it a day. So if we can repeat that or not, I'm not sure in doing a little recon on you, we have a lot in common. Uh, one of the funny things is, uh, I saw in your bio, you give accolades to your wife and quickly say that she is a a much better business person than you are, which is, uh, I I will happily say the same thing, which is a good segue into the homage behind me and the homage behind you to your wife, which is, this is all my wife. And that is all your wife, which is hilarious. So what's your wife do real quickly? Well, you can see what she does. She sells beauty products. Um, I'm in her office and she's a better salesperson, a better promoter, apparently a better hunter. She does it all while awesome. trying to chase around three kids at home. Yeah. And that's also with three kids as well. But how many, uh, boys, girls, girl, boy, boy. So 12, 10 and eight. Okay. Pretty close. Eight, six and six. So I have, a, I have identical twins. Similarly, world championship. What about the world, world championship? championship? Another similarity. How many uh, Xterra's of world championships have you been to? Yeah. So I, I got the endurance junkie bug just from reading books or listening to books and went to Maui twice, competed in the Xterra world championship twice there, which was awesome. In 17, 19, took the, took the family, made it a racecation. It was great. Yeah. I uh, similarly did that too. I, I was not into the Xterra circuit. I was in the uh, Ironman circuit. So I found my success after 10 years, I did seven Ironmans and 25-ish half Ironmans and went to uh, Ironman 70.3, they call it. So that's a half world championship a few times, which is- Where'd you do that? Is, where'd, where'd you do the half world championships, the 70.3s? Montremblant. So that's some serious climbing. Yeah, it was uh, It was not, it was a hilly course. The ride was pretty hilly, mostly rollers. We had one, I think it was maybe like 10 mile uh, out and back up a- I don't know. I can't remember what the elevation was. It was like 10 years ago. So yeah, that kind of hurt as you're segueing into the going into T2 and you know, you got to have fresh legs. So that wasn't fun. But uh, same thing. We did it. We did all this. My wife and I both did it all before kids. And then we had kids and it's like done. (laughs) Time's over. As an endurance guy, it's easy to talk about the victories. Hardest race I did was this past year. I took my family to Leadville. 
for the hundred oh, mile. Did? You did the yeah. hot Leadville 100. Wow. Good. Well, for you. I, I started it, Zach. I, I don't have any DNFs under my belt until I did that race. And it's amazing. A guy that I work with is a big, big time runner, cyclist, and told me it was the hardest race he ever did. So he flew to Leadville with us and I'm thinking, no problem. I did all my training on Zwift and trainer road indoors. Okay. Because of time constraints with work and kids, I get there, you're at 11,000 feet. What up, you know, to the top, I get, I get down to mile 70, I think it was 76 and I've never felt this way before, but my back was on fire and I just shut it down. And, uh, that's, that's it was a, a bummer. Good, it's a pretty Walked good way. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty good. Two thirds, three quarters of the way through almost. Yeah. That race is never <laughs> appealed to me. <laughs> so what do you do when you're stuck 30 miles from the finish? I made the decision long before to hang up the cleats, the proverbial cleats when I was on the top of the mountain. So you, you climb up to, I think it's like almost 12,000 feet. Your head's throbbing a little bit. And, you know, back on the way down, I made the decision where I was like this, I'm not going to get injured as a husband and a dad. It's just not worth it. So right. what story am I going to tell to make it sound not as, you know, weak as this is going to sound? Uh, so I came through that transition or checkpoint and said, you know, this is it. Oh, so, so at that point, they have a system to get you back home, I guess. It's it's just point to point, right? Out and back. Yeah. Oh, it's an oh, it is an out and back. Okay, gotcha. I thought it was uh like a point to point thing. So okay, that makes more sense. When I got to the half point of the race, which is at that twelve thousand feet mark, the winner Keegan Swenson was finishing the race. I mean, it's just unbelievably incredible how talented some people are. This is a hilarious conversation. We're not talking about anything we should, but it's good. Um, I mean, Xterra was probably the same. Ironman's the same. You know, it's one percent or whatever of amateurs, and then you look at yourself you know, against the pros and you're like a, you're like a turtle. I mean, they would finish an hour. Is that about right? 40 minutes in a four and a half hour race. Like that's insane. That's what's so great about humans. That variation is just years and years of consistency and yeah. grinding focus and makes all the difference in the world. It, yeah. Yeah. It really does. I spent a lot more than 10,000 hours training over 10 years, but do you remember Malcolm Gladwell? 10,000 hours tenant, right? You only start to get good at your craft after you've put in 10,000 hours and the average person, right? You know, this is at 10,000 hours is 40 hour work week, 50 hours a week, 2000 hours a year, which is five years. So you're not even starting to get good or understand something until you've been doing it for five years straight, you know, working 40 hours a week. So, and that holds true for kids work training, right? People come out and they're like, you know, I've been training. Like a lot of those guys are probably like D1 runners, some sort of college athlete or some sort of endurance athlete or something like that. I mean, Lance Armstrong, he started the triathlon circuit when he was like nine years old. It doesn't happen. People get frustrated with this, like, you know, overnight success and it just, it doesn't exist. That's, that's the point. So tell me about, you're also a, uh, an author, seller to stellar. I found out about this kind of late. I wish I would have been able to read it, but it sounds pretty interesting. Who's Carl Brommer? What's the collaboration? Carl, I went to a small school in Ohio called Cedarville, small little liberal arts Christian school in Southern Ohio, probably not far from you near Dayton. And he was an adjunct professor. So he was a engineer for a long time, formerly trained as an engineer, worked at NASA, was a fighter pilot with the Air Force and gets into the business world after he retires and finds out these salespeople are making a lot more 
than what these engineers are making, right? And he's the guy with the brains behind everything. So he ends up getting into sales and it did not go well. You're talking about 10,000 hours. And obviously he refined his craft and, and got really good at it. Ended up teaching one class at this school called Cedarville and we stayed in touch ever since. So 20 some years ago, I met Carl at this class. He has a background in endurance sports. He's been into the Ironman World Championship. At one point held the world record for old, over 55 years old in the 200 backstroke. So really, really unique guy, great guy, but he's been a mentor for a long time. And then a couple of years ago, we came up with the idea of, hey, let's write a book, you know, on mentorship. And that's where it came from. So the book is about a guy named Brad, you know, which is Carl and a guy named Joe, consider it me, right? Being able to succeed by having a mentor that can shorten your path to success. And that's what the book's all about. And that's where that's, the collaboration comes from. That sounds awesome. Uh, and you got, it just came out, uh, what, earlier this year? Came out earlier this year, the book. And then the Audible uh, was done by Alex Hyde White, who is the young Indiana Jones back in the 80s. So he's a great voice, does an awesome oh, job. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Whatever it takes to sell books, right? I, I feel like we could talk for probably the uh, entire time, or I could anyway, just asking questions about the journey of becoming an author. That's got to be uh, interesting. How long did it take you guys to do? A couple of years. We'd meet up a couple of times virtually because he's still in Dayton okay. and in Austin, Texas. We'd have couple meetings. I did all the creative for it. So I wrote the stories behind it. And then he edited right. the whole thing, went live with it. Okay. That's a good uh, sort of yin and yang responsibilities, I would say. So tell me about a little bit about your role there, chief growth officer, you know, what you do day to day, what your goals are, company, you know, trajectory, et cetera, marketing sales. Let's get into that. I'll start before that a little bit of why I came to Allied because you know, it's home services. It's not sexy. It's not tech. It's not medical device, which is what, you know, I was chasing after for a long time. I did the whole startup world in tech. I did the medical device world. I did the big tech consulting publicly traded company. And the one thing that I was always held up by was I'd go to Houston and meet with some buddies from college. And without fail, they always had these wild stories of going into homeowners houses and just telling crazy stories about people's dogs and cats and individuals that are going through different divorces or whatever it is, right? You couldn't make this stuff up and it would be a really entertaining podcast to have some of these guys talk about their experiences inside of someone's home. So anyways, I, they, they were having a lot of fun. I was working a ton, traveling a lot. I'd leave Monday, come back Thursday. And then believe it or not, the crux of me hooking up with them is they kept saying, hey, come to Allied. It'll be a lot of fun right? We'll build this thing together. And I had a buddy pass away. He was actually uh, a sales rep at Google. He goes on a book club trip to Arkansas on this uh, canoe trip. And they were reading the book by Mark Twain, the Huckleberry Finn book. And I forget the title of it. He jumps, he does a one and a half somersault, lands funny, disappears in this river, right? I get a call from his dad. His dad says, hey, are you with Steven? I said, no, I'm not with Steven. He goes, well, he's missing. They're, they're, like He's supposed to be on this trip. I said, yeah, he's on a book club trip. I was, he invited me, but I'm home with, you know, my wife and the, at the time, one kid. And that was a, that was a turning point for me of like, you know what? I'm chasing probably the wrong things in life. So after that happened and went through that process, I called up my buddies at Allied and said, hey, I think I'm ready to work with you guys and have some fun with my buddies. So I did that, you know, took a, took a pay cut, started uh, the central Texas office here and I entered the company when they were doing 10 million in sales and this year we'll finish at 55 million. 
you know, having relationships with your buddies from college goes a long way too. Yeah. I mean, that certainly make work, I, I would suspect, you know, work not feel like work, right? I love working. So so if I have a, a weakness, right, it's the, it's putting in the volume of work. But when you're talking to your buddies, right, you got to get off the phone. But if you're doing work and they're your buddies, I mean, you can have a lot of fun that way, which is great. Yeah. And you guys um, at Allied, I mean, what's, uh, so let's just talk about what you just said, and people are really interested in sharing, collaborating, you know, whatever the industry is, and, you know, trying to help other people, because the interesting part about this is it's like, the majority of, you know, these businesses are hyper local, right? Like they're, you know, you've got a few that transcend that, and, you know, might get a big metropolitan, you know, you guys are probably a good example, you have a pretty big metropolitan footprint, you know, maybe you get statewide and, you know, you might jump into a new state or a new territory and go regional, but your competition changes. More times than not, you know, you're talking to a guy, at HVAC company in Cedarville, and like, they couldn't care less about, you know, what HVAC person in Austin is doing. I mean, they, they're interested in what they're doing, but they're not competition, right? There's no world where they're going to ever compete unless they move to one another's city. Or I think that part of it is very interesting. For the first seven years, you know, the word PE didn't really exist, right? right. In the home service space. And then since right. COVID, that's kind of, that's come up. And then everybody talking about KPIs, right? Has right. come up. The home service industries all of a sudden got more sophisticated because sophisticated people came into the industry and your average Joe guy is now selling his company to these PE firms. So we saw that shift after COVID when it feels like everybody got rich in home services after the 2022 you know, blitz of home services. So the service industry, right, regardless of your marketing approach, regardless of your sales approach is, is just people. I mean, period. You get the right people on the bus, you can do some incredible things with services because that's all it is. It's humans talking to another human. What happened at Allied is I started in December of 2013. And within a week, a guy who we went to college with who was working at Lockheed Martin opened up our Dallas office. So essentially overnight, Allied went from a Houston-based company to Houston and Austin and Dallas-Fort Worth. You know, when you add salespeople and you can generate leads, well, now you have a pretty viable business when you already have a headquarter in Houston that's doing $8 million, $9 million a year. You've got a launch pad for sure. And that, I mean, I guess that's an interesting conversation. How many people I talk to, you know, bring up, oh, I want to grow, I want to grow, I want to go into what exactly what we're talking about, the next city next metropolitan area and what do you want to do and it's interesting i mean for those not familiar with texas geography that strategy is a big jump so the interesting part about that how are you trying to grow within your metropolitan area right different strategies different personas for you guys especially who's your target market what suburbs who can afford these solutions these are not inexpensive it's not you know an hvac repair or a new roof or whatever so how do you do that and how do you jump from houston to dallas to austin strategically and how did you guys plan and actually implement that? Well, it depends if you want me to paint you the pretty picture or the realistic picture, right? Because I mean, real. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah. we also went to Phoenix and we failed, right? Yeah. So there you we go. Jumped states and went there and it did not work out. It was a lot of headache. It was a lot of pain. We had great people there and shutting that office down was really difficult. So, you know, then you question your decision-making, but the biggest 
factor was people at the start. You get a right person and to provide some context on how far Houston and Dallas and Austin are, they're all, they're, right. it's about a triangle and they're about right. four hours away from each other. Right. In the state of Ohio, you're talking about having an office in Cincinnati and opening it up in Cleveland or Toledo. That's exactly right. That's exactly four hours. <laughs> you got you to gotta have the right people, right? And when you're starting out with anything, it's really just you know elbow grease and working hard. So we were able to copy and paste the things that they were doing in Houston and leverage those in Austin and at DFW. So a lot of the things we did the same. It was the same lead sources. It was the same website, you know, the same conversations. The challenge was, you know, I'm paying crews every single week. I'm paying commissions. I'm running leads. I'm running production, right? So it was like my own business in a sense. And the same with Chad, who is in, in DFW, he's running his own business. And that was exhausting. So the evolution of our business going from call it a startup phase to growth mode was when we went to shared services. So in 2018, one of the best things that we did was we had one person write commissions for everybody across the company. We had one person pay the crews for the entire company, right? And those shared services allowed to open up time for myself to do other things, to grow the sales force. In 18 is when I took over all of sales for Houston, Central Texas. I uh, That's it. That's really interesting. Okay. Going back even further. So just timeline this out. So you started in 2013. When did you make this decision to expand? What year? 13 was Austin. So Allied was founded in 09. Josh is an incredible entrepreneur who owns Allied and you know, he had a couple available people that he trusted and a couple available people that he knew would work hard and that they were smart. So that's where Austin and DFW came from. The inception of that expansion was in 13. Central Texas had been open a little bit before then, but with nominal success. So that was in 13. And in 16, we decided to open up Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So, okay. Dallas. Okay. Gotcha. So you guys essentially were brought in to open up these new regional offices. So back to 2013, be honest, like, did you guys have a strategy or Josh was just like, you know what? We want an office in Austin. Go see what you can do. What were your strategies? What were you guys implementing to jump, uh, you know, four hours? Again, it's not it's not like moving from a northern suburb in Houston to a northwestern suburb, right? Like it's starting a new business. Nope. I mean, four hours away, you go up four hours in your example to Cleveland or, you know, Dallas or whatever. You have no brand recognition. Nobody knows you. You have no work history. I mean, I guess you can lean off of the work history that you have from the original business, but no, no digital footprint, nothing. Yeah. I mean, just talk about that. The, the strategy or lack of strategy, I should say back at that time is you have to remember we're young guys, we're confident individuals, right? And we think, well, yeah, of course this can work out. And then I had safety in chat of like, Hey, if you leave your good company and I leave my good company, both were publicly traded, you're getting the 401k match. You know, we can do this together. And, and that there was a lot of value in he and I starting it together because we could talk on the phone and discuss strategies and discuss, hey, what happens when somebody says, let me go look at a project that of which you don't have in your market, right? But what we did was we just copied and pasted what happened in Houston to that market over there, right? So it was the same branding, the same story. It was just somebody that had supreme confidence to say, yeah, I know I don't have any projects, but... Right. What do you need to look at a project for? I got the crews that are going to get the work done. Yes. What were you copying and pasting? I mean, yeah, you've got branding, you've got a website, but are you, you know, you doing mailers? Are you doing deploying, you know, knocking on doors? You going to trade shows? How are you building brand and 
getting, as you said, doing your lead gen. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? Yeah, our lead gen essentially was the copy and paste of the Houston model, right? So if you look at high ticket home improvement products, whether it's windows or roofs or whatever it might be, they're at the home shows, they're in the magazines, they're on the radio, they're doing digital and that's what we did. It was just spend money in unique spaces, try new sources. If they work, you know, spend more money with them. If they don't work, drop them. And that's what we did. And certain things worked better in certain markets. In DFW, you know, radio was pretty great. In Central Texas, it was not good. As the years gone on, we started to look at our customer base, which we hadn't in the past. The customers do look differently in Houston than they do in Austin and San Antonio, than they do in surprise, DFW. Surprise. Right? And which is why we closed down Phoenix. You could get away with the barrier of Texas because in those markets, you're going to have similarities of people moving from Houston to Austin or San Antonio and vice versa to DFW. But when you get to Phoenix, it was a completely different market, different pricing, different customers. It was a wake-up call for all of us. Yeah, that's actually really interesting, especially given that you were finding success in Dallas and Austin too. You know, we felt unstoppable, right? We'll just do what we did in those markets. And yeah, every market in the every metropolitan market in the country, I'm sure, was uh, the conversations over uh, old fashions, right? <laughs> That's it. Anybody who has gone into other markets or other states has felt the same way, right? Hey, yeah. I can do this. It's going to be yeah. easy, right? It can't be that hard. And then you strike out and you're embarrassed. Right. I think that's a great topic of marketing in general. And this idea of marketing that exists, that it's, it's just kind of a spray and pray. But if you're not methodical, you don't do your homework, you don't understand your customer, you don't know who you're selling to, and you don't implement some test and learn strategies, put this out there, see what happens. And it can be on a macro level or a micro level, you're going to be burning through a lot of money and not really have a lot of data. And good on you guys. I don't know how long it lasted, but, you know, having the the guts to, you know, just kind of pull back and say, this isn't working. That's hard to do. How do the customers differ in the three markets in Texas from Houston to Dallas to Austin? What are the big differences there that you guys deploy tactically and selling across those markets? I'll, I'll start with when we got into Arizona, because that will provide some really obvious examples where... A relatively decent sized small business like ours at the time at, you know, I don't know, we were probably doing 20 million when we got into Phoenix. There were small things that you don't really consider because you're just in Texas or you're just in Ohio, right? And now we move out of it and you don't think about your pictures not matching the landscape, right? For us, we have a very visual product. So you have somebody call in or you have a sales guy says, hey, these pictures that are on my iPad, they're, they have pine trees on them. There's no pine trees in Paradise right. Valley, Arizona, right? Right. So now you have homeowners that are like, have you done any work out here? Right? Because these all look like green grass and I don't see any zero scapes. You know, putting Phoenix on the website, right? Like having just simple things where people catch you and you're like, why didn't we think of that? And then when you back up to Texas, you know, you have Central Texas, which is way more transient, right? You got a tremendous amount of people moving from California. You have a bunch of tech companies that are moving their headquarters to central Texas, right? So it's, it's a different age group. You know, they don't have the expectation of staying in a house for 30 years, right? Like they do in the Midwest. They don't have families here. It's a different way and they don't have as much money in the bank. So when you ran those demographics, a lot of people in Austin are absolutely broke, right? They're just leveraged to the hilt versus your Houston, who the, the average homeowner has stayed in their house for, you know, seven to 15 years, right? It's just a different customer. 
And in DFW, you have a bit of a mix, right? Where they're not reliant on the oil and gas like Houston is. So they have the oil and gas, they have the tech, they have the finance in DFW, and it's just a different market. And then you have those micro markets, right? Inside of those markets, which Dallas and DFW are kind of differing, right? DFW does not want to be, or I should say Fort Worth doesn't want to be associated with Dallas, right? They're different. They're kind of country, you know? Okay. And the Dallas people got the big hair and, you know, they do want to go see the Cowboys and all that kind of stuff. So interesting. It's funny. The first thing you said is funny to me because I talk about that all the time in terms of service pages, landing pages, your website, whatever granular level that you're trying to market to or send traffic to has got to match. If you're doing high-end garage doors and you're serving, you know, multi-million dollar homes, you need those on your landing page. Conversely, if you're serving middle-class garage doors, you got to show your middle-class house. You can't show the million-dollar mansion. I mean, even even HVAC, which might seem pretty like an HVAC is an HVAC. It's like, yeah, but like, you know, when you're talking about selling conditioning systems to, you know, a thousand square foot house versus a 10,000 square foot house. That's pretty different customer, pretty different price point. You know, you're going to want zone systems, you know, in the 10,000 square foot house or multiple systems. All of that little nuance is how you get closer to your customer and how you stop being everything to everyone, right? I mean, that's the the kiss of death in any business, especially I think home services. It sounds like you learned a ton from that, right? Oh, tremendous amount. Yeah. To your point, Zach, one of my favorite quotes is where your focus goes, your energy flows, right? But if you're, whether you're starting a new company or you see it all the time, people growing their company, we did it, right? You try to be everything for everyone, right? And then all of a sudden you kind of lose control. We did that too, where you start saying yes to everything. Now you're trying to hire all these people. Right. And it's a scary place to be. It is because in this industry, everybody loves to talk about the SOP, you know, for doing X, Y, and Z. And, you know, when you're doing everything to everyone, your, your procedures and your implementations change, right? You know, again, if you're doing 10,000 square foot house versus that 1000 square foot house, you need a completely different set of knowledge, you know, your your technicians and your installers. And same thing for probably you guys. This week, I was talking about how companies now are implementing strategies in terms of how they're dispatching. This may or may not be interesting to you. But so as you're dispatching crews, the old way is to say, hey, I get a call and Joe's across the street. He can come right over, right? But now the new way is, let's say in this case for you guys, Joe is, he's a carpenter, right? You would never send a carpenter, even if he is across the street, to talk to a new customer. The carpenter is going to have nothing to say to the new customer right? Like you need to deploy your best salesperson for high-end home who deals with the high-end customers and just kind of serving that need of, hey, the phone rang, jump, we got to respond, right? Like Mm -hmm. they need attention stat. But instead of that, you've got to give that person, right? Because I mean, this is like my world and and the home services world. It's like leads are the holy grail, right? Leads are hard to come by. Leads are expensive. Um, phone calls are hard to get. And once you get that phone call, you've done 
80% of the work. You got to show up, you got to put your best foot forward and bring your best closer to the table as opposed to just, you know, trying to send anybody available and like, oh, we got to, we got to serve this person like right away. So, um, so anyway, so th these dispatching strategies, and this is more for like, probably not as much for you guys, but for, um, hear a lot of this in, uh, garage door, HVAC, roofing, those type of things where, all right, we, we got to send our, our best person to talk about an install or a insurance claim on a roof or, you know, a new garage door. Maybe it applies to you guys too, in terms of the different size project you're getting. If you're getting a small project versus, I don't know, do you guys do seven figure projects or no? You get that high? We haven't yet. Yeah. Our biggest ever is 600 grand. Okay. Yeah. Which is a, a big project for outdoor if anybody's ever done any hardscape. So are you guys doing any of those, using any of those tactics uh, in terms of your sales and deploying uh, your sales force and how you segment leads to your salespeople? Theoretically, yes. Implementing it is more difficult. I have 50 sales reps and those reps have different skill sets right? They're in different seasons of life. There are different ages. You know, you have a sales rep who's 30 versus a sales rep who's 65. So depending on who you go send them to is pretty important. Now, the exact science of that can be tricky. And to give you some context, we're going to run 10,000 appointments this year, right? Which for a small business might seem like a lot, right? But my buddy, who's the chief human resource officer at Leaf Home, they run 2000 a day, right? So like, it's just, it, it's all relative. It's all relative. So how do you dispatch the right person to the right home in what feels like a magic black box? I think if you can get your phone to ring to the right person, it's an interesting conversation because it's not just getting your phone to ring. That that might be an easier part. If you have an unlimited budget, you get your phone to ring. But if you're right, if, if the wrong person's calling you, it doesn't matter, right? right? Because right. If they're not aligned with their prices. So right. getting right. those 50 people to the right house for the right products at the right time uh, is tricky. The one thing that I've probably learned over the years is you try to reinvent the wheel yourself versus just hiring an expert that does it, right? Whether it's for marketing, whether it's for your customer service rep, whether it's for all of these different things, right? You try to reinvent those takes time. It takes resources, takes five years to become an expert in anything. Why would I try to figure out a way when there's companies like Think Unlimited that will assign, you know, leads to your reps based on their success rate, based on their tenure, based on their demographics. So if anything, we've wasted time trying to do things like that when it's just a lot easier to hire somebody that has a lot of experience and pay them a premium to do it, right? Yeah. Because you yeah. have more success that way it's a sort of uh tried and true right like they've already done it or they're doing it uh you know, 10,000 hours or whatever. So that's great. The one thing I was going to say there that we kind of struggle with in general talking about is how to qualify your customer. Do you want, like if someone's going to your website and you know your ideal customer, right? Like whatever you said, your high end is 600, whatever your low end is 50,000, making that up. But transparency goes a long way. We do uh, a thousand, thousand projects a year in, you know, I'd say in each market and our average, you know, the low end is 50,000. The high end is, you know, sky's the limit. Point is, you know, when someone gets to that high intent page or that transaction page on your website, contact us or, you know, the lead gen form. What's your budget? How did you hear about this? All of this quantitative, qualitative data to help your salespeople qualify the customer. And when someone says my budget's $5,000 for 2000 square feet of bluestone, you can 
pass on that. It's not going to work, right? People always struggle. Well, what if we upsold that $1,000 customer to a $50,000 project? Yeah, but you're going to have to, your sales guy is going to have to spend six months on that lead and nurture the, you know what, out of that lead to move them up $49,000 to a price point where your margins actually make sense or where this project actually makes any sense for you. So there's a customer for everyone and there is a service provider for everyone. Like knowing who your customer is, that's what you do. That's what you do. And I think transparency goes a long way. And, you know, going back to the lead, Jen, you're going to serve 10,000 leads this year, right? How many of those leads going back through those could you just scrape off and say, you know what, these were an absolute waste of time? Is it 50%? You're probably doing something wrong. If it's one to 2%, that's a really, really good number. And this is where like on the marketing side, is this a marketing qualified lead or is this a sales qualified lead? And what do we need to do with this lead to get them to a close? You know, sales qualified lead, high intent, high transaction. They give you their price point. They are ready to buy. Marketing qualified lead, low interest. Oh, can I, you know, I want to brainstorm one of your salespeople. Maybe I want to do some like preliminary design work. I'm just getting a brochure at a trade show. These are cold to lukewarm at best. And these go into a completely different pipeline for your marketing. And frankly, if your marketing is set up properly, your salespeople aren't even touching these right? So you're doing nurturing, you're doing retargeting, you're doing highly targeted display, highly targeted flyers, et cetera, et cetera. That's where your cost per acquisition can really improve. If you're doing this spray and pray tactics where you're, you know, not doing meaningful marketing, your cost per acquisition is thousand dollars per project. And as you get more targeted and dial these people in and nurture them, you can start to lower this sort of uh, cost per acquisition across your customers. Maybe you're not growing 30% year over year, but your margins actually start to grow. Where are we at in our in our business? Are we trying to continue? Are we trying to grow the business 30% year over year and keep our 10% margins? Or are we trying to, you know, turn our 10% margins into 12, 15, 20% margins by, you know, finding you know, squeezing and optimizing, again, these growth pipelines and these sales pipelines. And there's not one that's right or that's wrong, but it is hard to do both at the same time. I will say that. Food for thought. Anything else to add to that? I'll add two things to it. What you're talking about specialization and that specialization is can be drilled down so far. The difference between my knowledge and your knowledge, while we have a general business knowledge, right, is vastly different. It's the brain surgeon and the heart surgeon. If you're a brain surgeon, I am not interested in you working on my heart, right? And the reason I bring up specialization is when you look at guys in the industry, right? Whether they're in garage doors or HVAC, I think one question that I wish somebody would ask these guys that are big players is, hey, you've done X in HVAC. Why haven't you got into garage doors? Why haven't you got into the solar world? Why have, and maybe they are, right? But people specialize in a specific product and then scale it right? There's a guy you should have on the show. His name's Brian Gottlieb, who sold his company for a lot of money. I think it was like 150 million bucks, right? Great guy. And he would start saying no to things. You're talking about niches, right? In uh, 
what you say yes to, who you say yes to, who you're going to go visit, right? Who, are, who am I going to invest my time into? You know, all of these things, and this is where we're at with a company too, is when you get to that marketing ploy, right? You are going to have people that aren't interested in doing something at their house now, but they might be in two or three years. And I still want to have them in my system and be warming them up. And, you know, that's where we're at in the business life cycle. You got your your growth phase or your startup phase, then you got your growth phase, your maturity phase and your exit phase. And we're kind of in between the growth and maturity piece, which is like identifying who we are. And it's really hard to do, right? When you're a teenager and you're trying to figure out when your parents ask you, what are you going to do when you grow up, Zach? And you're like, I don't know. I was just hoping to like have some fun this weekend. That's where I think a lot of companies get stuck or they try to get their hand into everything, right? And I think getting those specialists around you, whether it's in marketing or sales or different product lines is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you uh, so much for joining us. Always great to talk to you. We could, uh, I honestly feel like we could go on for another hour, but you know, duty calls for you and myself. Where can people find you? Allied uh, Outdoor, you guys are in Dallas, Houston, and Austin. Uh, URL and quick info on what you guys actually do. Yeah, they can check us out, alliedoutdoorsolutions.com. We're mm -hmm. in the great state of Texas, great country of Texas. And uh <laughs> Yeah, we love home services. We love our customers. We're trying to navigate this just like everybody else. So we'd love to connect with folks. Great. Well, thanks, Jordan. You have a great day and talk to you soon.